Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with Gabe Galanda, the co-founder and managing lawyer of Galanda Broadman, an Indian country law firm with headquarters in Seattle. Hi, Gabe. How are you? Doing great, Ari. Great to be reconnected with you. Tell us about your background and the genesis of Galanda Broadman. I'm an enrolled citizen of the Round Valley Indian Confederation of Mendocino County, California. I descend from the Namlaki and Konkau tribes of our confederation. I was born and raised in Port Angeles, Washington, which is on the North Olympic Peninsula of Washington State here in the Great Pacific Northwest. I went to the University of Arizona College of Law, where I got my JD after concentrating my studies in Indian law. And in 2000, as you know from our past experiences, I started practicing as an associate at a medium-sized firm in downtown Seattle. Ten years later, I had made equity member. I sat on the board of directors, and I had founded and was co-chairing a tribal practice group at my old firm. In 2010, my best friend at the old firm, and to this day, Anthony Broadman and I decided to form our own firm, which is Galanda Broadman PLLC. And we have eight lawyers today with offices not only in Seattle, but in Yakima, Washington, and in Bend, Oregon. Uh, We're privileged to represent tribal governments, tribal enterprises, and tribal citizens in all matters of controversy, regulation, and business. And we're very grateful to our clients for the opportunity to serve them. I met you as a first-year, second-year associate, and I always admired the fact that you, you already knew the area in which you wanted to focus. How did you know what you were going to do so early in your career? Well, I was fortunate that I knew I wanted to be a lawyer since I was in high school at about age 18. And that's because at that time I worked at a law office in my hometown, Port Angeles, as a receptionist. And the two partners of that small law firm, Doherty and Ritchie, inspired me to be a lawyer based on the way they practice law in a very community-based way. As a tribal citizen, I knew that my legal career would be focused on representing tribal interests, and that focus became more clear to me when I was in college, uh, aspiring to go to law school. At that point, I was probably about 19 or 20, and I didn't know exactly what a career in Indian law would look like, but I was very fortunate to know at that relatively young age exactly what I wanted to be, meaning a lawyer, and exactly who I wanted to represent, meaning tribal clients. So by the time I got to law school in 97 and started at my first firm in 2000, uh, I still had that very clear focus, and I'm very grateful that I've had that now for uh, the better part of my adult life. You were an equity member of a prominent regional firm. How did you make the decision to leave and start your own practice? Well, the way I see it, the decision was sort of made for me. On Valentine's Day of 2010, I came home from a long day at that old firm, and my wife sat me down and told me she was pregnant with twins. And one of the most immediate reactions I had was to tell her that I need to change law firms, realizing there was no way I could meet the demands of equity membership and tribal practice group management and board of directors leadership in a large law firm on a skyscraper in downtown Seattle and still come home and be any semblance of the dad and husband I wanted to be. In the meantime, serendipitously, my partner, Anthony, was also needing to leave the law firm for his own family reasons. His wife finished her residency and was entertaining job offers at hospitals in the Northwest, and the best offer she got was one in a hospital in Bend, Oregon. 
So for our own reasons, we decided to make our own way. And on April 10th, 2010, we started Galanda Broadman. And what was crazy about that is, as you may recall, that was about the peak of the Great Recession, which I know our wives were particularly unnerved by. But for whatever reason, we made the leap at that moment in time or that moment in history. And we were fortunate that a number of tribal clients uh, made that leap with us and gave us a bit of a soft landing and the rest is history. You've been involved in some high profile matters recently. How do you choose the cases on which you're going to focus? Well, it's more that Indian clients who we have longstanding relationships with choose us than us choosing them or their cases. And there are certainly times we cannot or do not accept cases, but our highest profile cases tend to result from trusted referrals from tribal clients. And it's typically clients with whom we share a common value set. In terms of our focus and picking and choosing the cases that are brought to us, because of course we can't take them all, we watch and listen very carefully to what's happening throughout Indian country. And we look especially for opportunities that will help us through our clients advance budding social justice causes that will eventually benefit all of Indian country. So for example, we took on tribal disenrollment before any other law firm would do that in any concerted way. Uh, with tribal member clients coming to us. We took on Indian prisoner religious freedoms with other members coming to us and us kind of seeing the rise in religious discrimination throughout state and local prisons. We've now taken on federal, state, and, and local law enforcement officers and agencies who, much like we're seeing with African American and other minority communities, are, are killing Indians in the so-called line of duty and we are taking on state and local prison officials who are being deliberately indifferent towards the mental health needs of inmates and allowing them to take their own lives. And so in, in those ways, we you know, look for, in particular, opportunities to advance uh, social justice causes when those clients choose us and, in turn, we, we choose their case. You mentioned tribal disenrollment. What exactly is it and what, what is its impact? Well, stop me if I go on too long here, because this is an issue that's near and dear to me and my entire firm. Tribal disenrollment is a process designed by the United States over the last 200 years, but unknowingly co-opted by tribal governments and tribal officials. It's a process that leads to Indians being exiled from their own tribal communities. And we've seen since the advent of Indian gaming, or at least its success over the last couple decades, as many as 10,000 Indians losing their identities, their livelihoods, and their sense of belonging by way of this process. 10,000 Native Americans. And I allude to Indian gaming, that's now a $30 billion industry, and that's relatively new wealth in Indian country that unfortunately has caused graft and greed to grip certain tribal politicians, and in turn those tribal politicians create cohorts of tribal members or factions of tribal members to then get rid of their own relatives, their own kin. And over the last five years, we've represented about 600 Indians from the West Coast, meaning Washington, Oregon, California, to the Great Lakes, to other parts of the country who are facing this uh, atrocity that is disenrollment. And again, I'm proud that we were the first law firm in the country to spot this trend, meaning this unfortunate trend, and in a concerted way, uh, assume the business risks of challenging tribal governments, but ultimately assume the advocacy needed to defend the existence of individual Indians. And in that process, we've sort of re-educated ourselves of what it really means and what it does not mean to belong to a tribal community. And we've in turn tried to help re-educate Indian country about 
those ideals before it's too late. Because what we're witnessing really is uh, Native Americans self-terminating or self-annihilating themselves with devices created by the federal government for that purpose. And it's very scary stuff. As you develop in your career at this stage, is there anything you would have done differently, whether it's a decision on your firm, whether it's a decision in terms of uh, client relationships, anything that you would change? One thing I would do differently, at least having left a large law firm to start my own, is heed a warning I was given before I made that leap, which was to expect that relatively trivial things would be the source of great consternation and heartache with those who are now my, you know, my former partners while I was making that transition. I was naive to think that everything would just be copacetic, that you know, the business could all be shared, that all the relationships would just kind of overcome any economic heartache. And over time, everything has worked out for everyone. I'm still great friends with a number of my own partners. I still consider them mentors. But in that moment, I, I sort of underestimated the humanity involved with that parting of the ways. And at the time, I thought it was, quote, just business, end quote. I thought it would just be resolved without any sort of real humanity. But I realized that there is a lot of humanity involved in that sort of departure because of relationship and friendship. And it is emotional. It is and was painful. Again, things are, are fine now. But in that moment, I, I think I would have appreciated uh, more of the humanity involved with that, that decision and not as not place as much emphasis on uh, thinking it was just business because some of the smaller things did become sources of consternation. So I guess that's just more of a lesson to anyone who might think about leaving their law firm. It's not as easy as one might expect. It's not as transactional as one might believe. Good, bad, or ugly, there's a lot of humanity that weighs in the balance of that transition. How do you divide your time between growing a thriving practice and actually performing the work for your best array of clients? I don't think that there's an obvious division between business development and practicing law. And I guess put differently, I would say that our, our practice of law for tribal clients is our best mode of business development. We strive to provide the highest quality legal service and the most zealous of advocacy for our Indian clients, especially appreciating that Indian clients haven't historically received the best level of legal representation. In fact, until gaming, most tribal communities we're qualifying as indigent for representation under federal guidelines. And a lot has changed in the era of gaming. And now Indian clients and tribal governments in particular can afford to hire the best representation in the country, but that's not always been the case. With those efforts, meaning our absolute best efforts at all times, and with the results that occasionally come from those efforts, of course, comes more opportunity to serve more Indian clients. The best boat of business development and it really can't be divided from the practice, is the practice of law. Beyond that, I would just say that business develop is something that, as you know, I've undertaken really every day of my career, and I mean 24-7, 365, and fueled by social media these days, and that's really where we place a lot of emphasis on our marketing. It is a matter of 24-7, 365 effort. The hallmark of my career and now my law firm's business development is and always has been writing, at least for me, that dates back to when I wrote my first Indian law article in 2002. But today, whether it's a 140-character tweet that I'm tweeting or an occasional paper or blog that one of my partners or associates is writing or a law review article that my law firm has once in a while written, our entire law firm writes. And then once we write or get published, we tweet, we like, we share, we allow our ideas to reach 
as far and wide as we can in Indian country through social media. And it's just important to realize that that does not happen overnight. That does not happen once in a while. It takes relentless effort over an extended period of time. And of course, the anchor of that effort has to be the practice of law itself. What recommendations do you have for lawyers seeking to build a practice or even students who are interested in striking out on their own? First, be authentic. And second, be relentless. And by authentic, I mean you have to be yourself. Generally speaking, folks don't want to associate with somebody who is trying to be something other than him or herself. And in the legal market in particular, being anything other than yourself or anything other than authentic is simply going to repel people from you rather than draw them to you, which of course is what you want if you're developing your own practice. If you come off as unauthentic, you will come off as somebody who is simply trying to make a friendship for ulterior motive, which is to basically generate business. So you have to be yourself. The other reason you have to be yourself is that's the only way you'll ever find passion in the law. And without passion, I suggest that a lawyer is simply mediocre. Unless you're passionate, you will never play to your ultimate strengths. You will always be less than your absolute best. Passion is is key, and that comes with authenticity. And with that marriage of passion and authenticity, ultimately it translates into your best legal work. It can be a substantive area of law like Indian law or a legal technique like writing or delivering oral argument. But you have to play to your strengths and you have to ignite and fuel passion for you to be at your absolute best. And with both those things, then comes relentlessness. And you have to continue to display that authenticity and that passion on a relentless level. Like I said, to, to build a practice of your own, we're talking 24-7, 365 effort. And that's the type of relentless that I'm talking about based on excellence that flows from authenticity and passion. And that doesn't mean you have to write a blog or an article every day of the year, but I do believe you have to relentlessly think about your career every single day of your life. Even on vacation, you need to be thinking about your mode of success, your potential for success, and how you're going to realize that potential and become successful if that's exactly what you want to do. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with Gabe Galanda, the co-founder and managing lawyer of Galanda Broadman an Indian country law firm with headquarters in Seattle. Gabe, it was really a privilege. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ari. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.